Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Aaron Meary, Chief Digital and Information Officer at Baptist Health. In this segment, Meary talks with Kate Gamble, Managing Editor, about why he believes opening a new state-of-the-art hospital is like conducting a symphony, his team's groundbreaking work with robotic automation, and how it's helping clinicians work smarter, not harder, and why he never claps for hope. Hi, Aaron. Thanks, as always, for your time. So in our pre-conversation, you mentioned that Baptist just opened a new hospital in December. So yeah, so our Clay Hospital, state-of-the-art hospital serving Fleming Island. It's our seventh hospital of the fleet uh, and growing. And I was looking at the census this morning. I mean, we're almost at capacity and it's only been open since the 19th. What is that, two and a half weeks? It's crazy. So I guess good for the community because demand is there. Bad because you think about like, what were these poor people doing before this, right? So like Mm -hmm. jeepers. Yeah. Um, But that's indicative right now of healthcare in general, Kate, is everybody is dealing with a massive tidal wave of demand. Everybody. I don't know what has happened in this country. Everybody is sick. Everybody. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case that we're finding with so many places. But uh, as far as opening new hospital, you've done this before, but it's never really easy, is it? <laughs> Define easy for me. No, um, so there's so many things to navigate, right? So at a big, I don't want to get into the weeds here, but at a big level, you've got to navigate obviously construction and material delays, right? That goes into technology as well. You've got to navigate people. When do you hire your staff to start? When do you get them trained? You know what I mean? There's a cost consideration there. Then you've got process, right? Are you redesigning units? Are your modifications having to happen because you're going to do a different type of care plans for those patients that are there? Are there certain services you're going to offer day one versus day 60? All those things Mm -hmm. got to be ideated. And then of course, it's all got to come together into sort of this orchestration layer, the symphony, as I call it, of everybody playing their part really, really well. So that opening day goes as smooth as possible. In our case, we transitioned from a freestanding emergency department with a surgical base, there's eight bays there, over to a hospital. So we we added a giant tunnel basically connecting the two uh, so that folks go between two. So we already had staff there. We just had to grow them to now do labor and delivery and all these other service lines that we have there, along with a pavilion. And it's all state-of-the-art right? Well, ending state-of-the-art also has state-of-the-art challenges. So things that come up, vendors that you need to call upon for help, but it's the week of December 19th. It's Christmas week. Do you really think your vendors are all going to be there responsibly? I mean, you got to work through all those permeations. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's a logistical uh, opportunity, but with good leadership comes good results. And that's what we had. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention, we hear so much about staffing challenges and opening uh, a new facility. Um, have you run into that as much or um, how, how have you dealt with that aspect? Yeah, so we had really good planning with our HR team. That they, they really had line of sight on the recruitment for several hundred clinicians, nurses, allied health techs, whatever, to staff that hospital to open up at a certain census and good projections with what we figured demand would be. Again, it wasn't like we were building a hospital. We had no idea about the area. We had a freestanding ED. Mm-hmm. We had surgical services. So we had a sort of an understanding of how busy we get, what the ebbs and flows are. So with that historical data, we were able to project. And so we did a really good job of that. Credit to the planning teams there of what when we needed to pull the trigger and hiring people and then when they start and then starting them a few weeks early, even the building wasn't certified to have patients in it, you could at least train in it, right? So we got folks training within the electronic medical record, getting them up to speed. And then a lot of folks transferred from the other hospitals over there because it's closer to home for them. So it was a win-win componentry across the board. I would say the hardest part in all of this is making sure that your processes, your workflows 
are truly identified because even in a health system, one hospital is one hospital and you can't just replicate what you do at like our downtown uh, large tertiary care center for our Fleming Hospital, 100 and some odd bed hospital out there. It's very different and different types of, of, of patients that you're gonna be seeing. Yeah, that's gotta be really important. And um, I'm sure that that's really a, a focus right from day one, but um, how are you able to really kind of zero in on that and make sure that you know they are the right workflows and processes for that organization and, and those who work there? Elbow grease, getting in there, talking to folks, partnering, rounding, uh, doing day in the life ofs. My clinical informatics teams, uh, I called it holding court. They would go over there and work with the nurses and clinicians. Okay. Say, okay, here's how it happens. A patient presents at registration. They go up to the ICU. They go to discharge, whatever it may be. One of my CI analysts became the patient, so patient Jane, basically. And they would literally go through the whole process. And all the clinicians would comment on, oh, this works well. or oh, This is kind of funky. Why don't we do it this way? So if you do that enough times... It's almost like agile design on the fly. You're able to get a process that's, I call it 90% there. And then you're going to learn a few things over the first few months of opening that, okay, we had a case of twins come in. Okay, well, our, our process we had designed for our NICU was good for our you know individual babies. But then when we had twins, both mm -hmm. with complex conditions, like, okay, we've got to have double the equipment or a certain type of level of sensitivity for our monitoring systems. That You just learn things as you go along and you, you adapt and you document and you go forward. The good news about Baptist, right? Our culture here is a continuous learning environment. So anything net new that we learn, uh, we always go back and we teach everybody else, okay, this is what we learned to incorporate that for yeah. future hospitals and expansion in the future. So given the culture and the attitude, given the learning environment and given really good leadership, uh, we're able to come together and get it done. Yeah, agile, it it's keeps coming up as something that's so valuable, Right. having that as part of the culture. So that aside, obviously that's been a big thing, but what do you consider to be some of your other core objectives for uh, 2023? Yeah, so we've got industry pressures that I think everybody is facing, right? You've got financial constraints. Mm -hmm. So how do I simplify the tech stack, uh, my applications? How do I modernize things so that we reduce overhead and cost, become more efficient? I don't have to continue to hire an army of people net new. I can really do with my existing team. Uh, two, how do I make sure I address burnout and uplift my existing teams that are educated in new technologies and they feel empowered and supported and they want to be here, right? It's it's not our job to to you know replace your personal family, but it is our job to make it a work family where you feel supported and happy here and you want to be here. So how do we do that? How do we make sure we listen to staff? How do we deal with really sad affects that are going on right now across the world with people doing self-harm or you know substance abuse? How do we make sure we get people personal help so that they can deal with those things in their personal lives and they know that work has their back, right? So then it's people development. And then growth, right? We're in a high growth market. There's something like, I want to say, 100 net new people moving to this to Jacksonville greater region a day. And by the way, Kate, that's faster than Austin, Texas, where I was before this. So this oh. region is booming. I mean, Forbes just listed just the other day, Jacksonville's the number two place behind Tampa to live in the state of Florida due to affordability and availability of housing. And you get the beach and you've got everything here. So to the degree of it, we're having to deal with unprecedented demand. Good problem to have, bad problem to mm -hmm. have because it stress tests all of your systems. So to the degree yeah. of it is making sure we can accommodate that and do what we've been doing since the 1950s, giving the best possible patient care to this region. And this is why Baptist is the preferred uh, provider of care for this entire area. Yeah. And do you foresee having to do more 
well, not necessarily brick and mortar, but growing in other ways to be able to serve all these patients? Yeah, so brick and mortar, I think, you know, you're always going to have that element of it. I think that slows down across the healthcare industry just because of cost, right? With inflation and with yeah. the delays to get gear, I can't order a network switch. It takes 18 months to get here for a simple network switch, right? That's any network vendor just because of supply constraints out of the Far East. So if that yeah. becomes your long tail where I can't get concrete, I, I couldn't get coax cable for the longest time. You're not going to be mm -hmm. building new buildings. What you're going to be doing is yeah. virtual development of programs or more hospital at home, care at home type programs, and or doubling down and looking at how do we have effective partnerships with people in the region? Because they do this little thing really well. We do this little thing really well. Let's come together and do a joint program together. We don't have to buy them outright, but partner in a very strategic way so that we help everybody. And that way the entire region has access to care as if you built a brand new hospital sitting there. I think this is what's driving a lot of the fuel of M&A in our industry. The question will be, well, how do the payers react to that? Because the initial forays we're seeing, and you're seeing this a lot of major mergers that suddenly stop and then break up because they can't do it, is the payers are saying, uh-uh, we're not, we're not paying for this, right? We're going to want you to cut your rates yeah. if you do that. So there's a, there is a whole calculus that's occurring right now that we've got to work through that will become more virtual and more joint program related than it is build something brand new and hope they will come. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And um, I know that increasing efficiency is always something that's a goal. And not that that's the only motivator, but I did want to talk about what Baptist is doing with you know automation and robotics, because it seems like you guys are really doing some interesting things there. Thanks for asking the question. So yes, pretty proud of our entire leadership team for really doubling down on robotics. This is automation using, so first of all, there's automation, right? Where you're writing using languages like, like Ansible and others to script back office systems, using systems like uh, Hiro and others to do the sort of that chatbot, you know, engagement with your patients or, or Notable or others. Not here to talk about technology stacks, but there are technologies of that. That's automation of one kind that we're doing. There's the other automation, mm -hmm. which is robotic automation. We are the first health system to deploy Moxie robots through our children's and adult hospitals uh, to really help our, our nurses work top of license and ensure mm -hmm. that they, if they're going to go retrieve linens, why do you set a robot to go do it? Why are they having to get away from yeah. the bedside and the patient bedside? Look, it works in Las Vegas when you order, you know, room service and here you have a robot shipped up to your door. Why can't that work for say getting clean linens or delivering nutrition from, you know, nutrition services up to a patient room, you know, for dinner or retrieving blood from the blood bank up to a unit? Why can't we automate that with robotics? So our executive team, we looked at it, did the performance, the analysis of it and said, you know what, it's a worthy investment to give it a shot. And then we'll reevaluate in 12 months if we actually have the ROI. We're eight months in and I can tell you that we're already exceeding ROI. So the value proposition is there. So to the degree of it, Baptist has taken a lean forward, lean into automation, technology stack, robotic automation, and looking at further ways of helping our clinicians work top of license. We cannot grow our nursing, our medical staff and allied health folks fast enough what we can do, though, mm -hmm. is enable them and empower them so they're working smarter and not harder. Yeah, as you touched on, this is one of those areas where we see this in other industries, but obviously healthcare is different and has challenges. But aside from the finances, what do you think are the barriers that's holding back more organizations from doing this? Fear, fear of the unknown. I think there's mm -hmm. a, in healthcare in general, for the right reasons, there's always a, you don't want to be a too forward bleeding edge. You want to be sort of a fast follower. So there's bugaboos yeah. or pitfalls. So you have to have folks that have courage and conviction 
and strong belief and rooted in something to do that. You know, there's a lot of leading organizations across the country and then others follow. And that's a good thing, right? We, you, you need that healthy balance. You need that thing. I think you're going to see more health systems double down on that. I also see, think you're going to see health systems double down on, on natural language processing, really leveraging voice as that modality in the future. You're seeing the caregiver clinicians, bless them, they are working so hard to take care of people. And you see the reports in the industry, you have physicians specifically leaving in droves, right? Going to private equity, going on to the vendor side, leaving the bedside because they're getting burned out. We got to stop this trend for none other than healthcare, U.S. healthcare market, just general people. We're getting older, we're getting more complicated and sick. So you need these skilled clinicians that are coming out of our top medical schools to stick around. We just announced a partnership with LECOM to bring the first DO program here to Jacksonville to help grow the next generation of physician. You need health systems like Baptist partnering with academic institutions and universities to continue to grow talent because it's going to take both. Otherwise, you're going to be led with a tremendous deficit in this country. We already have a deficit, but a worse one in the future. So to the degree of it, it's all these dimensions that add up to the end of the day, but it takes leadership, courage, and conviction, and making sure that you stand for something for your industry and for your market, and you go forward with courage. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said about enabling nurses and physicians to practice at the top of their license. Seems like that could play such a huge role in at least some of the uh, dissatisfaction that's out there. It is. I mean, we've talked about it for years, right? Nix the clicks or make it easier on them. Well, it was once upon a time, you could blame the electronic medical record. And I'm not disparaging EMRs, but you could blame it. Now it's a symphony of issues that surround the caregiver. And then added to the fact, now people bring those pesky personal devices with them going, hey, I have this app that told me this about myself. So you're having Mm -hmm. to navigate all those things and making sure that at the end of the day, the patient's getting the best possible care Well, it's beyond now just an EMR. It's beyond traditional x-rays and film. It's beyond all these things. So how do we encapsulate and envelope our caregivers in a way that they feel supported, they feel empowered, and not wasting time, and they're not having to chart at 11 o'clock at night to catch up because they're so far behind? Nobody wants that for them. So we spend a lot of time side by side with our caregivers in the field of care saying, what are you doing? How can we help you? How can we take it from 15 clicks to one click? Or how do I eliminate some of these technologies surrounding you that are just not helpful at all and eliminate that, right? That takes time. And that's another encumbrance because I'll tell you, sometimes healthcare institutions have a rule, don't rock the boat. You know, if it's worked for so Mm -hmm. many years, why change that? Well, we've got to change that dynamic. And that takes, again, courage and being bold to make that happen. Yeah, and having that buy-in, having uh, you know support is obviously such a huge part of that. Right, that's right. And, and I mean, look, here's the real. I was standing there giving an interview to our local news station with our Moxie robot, right, which is about my site. I was in the lobby of the Children's Hospital. Elevator opens up. A five-year-old boy and his mom walk off the elevator. He looks at the robot. He walks up and gives it a giant bear hug as if it was like E.T. or something, <laughs> right? It was unprompted, unscripted. I was like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. So the intangibles that, I mean, I didn't bake patient satisfaction into any ROI calculation. So Mm -hmm. if you just stop and think beyond what's in front of you on a piece of paper or beyond, again, working top of license and these things we wanted to achieve, there are intangible calculations that go to these things and benefits so that the net benefit of XYZ program could be much beyond that. So if you're taking a paused measured approach, good for you. 
But just consider the opportunity cost of what's going to happen there and what you could be doing for your local community. Yeah, and that's not too far off of when we talk about innovation and, you know, how there really needs to be this strong focus on solving an actual problem, meeting an actual need. And it seems like I know you you and I have spoken about that before, and that's such an important piece with any idea that you have to look first, right, at what is this going to solve? Right. That's exactly right. And and starting with the why, right? Why are we doing this? Not even what are we going to solve? Why would we even do this? There was a saying we used to say at UT Austin all the time, which I sort of adopted, which is, is this good medicine? Right. Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's good medicine, too. So you've got to really understand that to then innovate. And also innovation isn't something you buy. It drives me nuts when folks say, oh, just buy this whiz bang thing and boom, you're innovative. That, that's not innovation. That's <laughs> right. just buying something. The saying, even when I was on the for profit side was you don't clap for hope. Right. You don't clap for hope here. You've got to actually have a definitive why. And then you got to be able to have a mindset of wanting to go do it. And also you got to have courage to ruffle some feathers. Not everybody gets on board with innovation because a lot of folks are very comfortable and that's okay being in their box, doing what they've always done all the time. So how do you accommodate those folks? They don't feel left behind and they feel supported and anchored while you have innovation to change the whole dynamics. If you find the right balance, like a seesaw, it's actually a really fun thing to do. But some folks go so hard in on innovation, the seesaw gets off kilt, right? And that's not going to work. Or you go the other way, which is, I don't want to do it. I'm going to stand still and be afraid of my own shadow. And that doesn't work either. You got to find the right Right. balance and you got to be able to evangelize us in a way that wins the hearts and minds of all. Yeah, very true. You just brought up before about people bringing in apps and things like that, but just the whole idea of harnessing data to improve outcomes, improve the patient experience. Is that something that's really just an ongoing strategy for you? It is. So to answer the question, yes, it's an ongoing strategy. I think data, data lenses, that's table stakes these days. If you can't understand your data, I don't know what you're doing as a business. So that's that's the day-to-day function. Then there's the extrapolation and doing the decision science as to how do we crack the walnut better, faster, cheaper, smarter? How do we think differently? Can we use data? Basically, think of like a, I'm trying to give you an analogy here, like a pivot table, right? In Excel. How do we pivot this data in a way to see it differently that we didn't think about before? So yeah, our CLABSI rate may be dropping, our LWABs uh, left without being seen in the ED may be dropping. All these things are good. But when I combine those data sets with these data sets, how do I help the folks in observation in the ED that could become LWABs or leave AMA? How do I give them tech to make sure that they're taken care of and seen effectively so not sitting there waiting on a stretcher to be seen because we have an overfilled census as an ED? How do we do things smarter and empower our business leaders to think differently? So that is something I think in the healthcare industry, folks are just now realizing and really being able to extrapolate out that academic medical centers have done for a long time and start applying Mm -hmm. that real world to the business. So it's, yeah, I'm taking care of the business today, right? I'm seeing patients, but then I'm planning using that data for the future in a way that I've never done before and restructuring service lines and affects to make sure that I'm giving care the best today and I will be giving care the best tomorrow. Hmm. Yeah. When you look at 2023 and it kind of, to be transparent, I'm somebody who can't stand New Year's resolutions, but there is a place for always wanting to improve. But do you think about it in your professional role as, okay, here's what we want to accomplish this year? Or do you think that that's not really realistic? Maybe on on a broader scale, just as far as the core objectives for your team. 
Yeah, so I, I think on a broader scale for my team, what we're looking at in general is, is truly trying to transform into a modern, agile, 21st century department. But the problem with healthcare in general is that it was built in the 20th century on a very waterfall methodology. And so to flip that on its head takes a long, long time and takes a lot of fortitude. So we are on that journey. We're doing a lot of things in a very agile manner and leveraging data in very unique ways. I do think that this year is a pivotal year for all of healthcare, including Baptist, where we stop and look at ourselves in the mirror really, really hard and say, what do we want to look like in seven quarters away, 10 quarters away, 15 quarters away, and project that way. So I would mm -hmm. call it an iterative strategic planning cycle, right? So you're continuously reassessing. And then also you get to ask yourself the hard question, what are we going to stop doing? What are we going to not mm -hmm. do? A lot of times in healthcare, there's a reluctance to let the past go because, oh, we've always had that old piece of junk system sitting in the corner doing whatever that one person accesses a year. So we don't want to turn it off. We're going to keep paying for it. Why? So you have to have courage of conviction to ask those hard questions of yourselves. And we're in that process. I've thrown the challenge to my team. I want to be out of all of our on-premise data centers in three years or less, bar none, flat out. Mm -hmm. Now, that's aspirational. I know I will always have some local on-site PAX images and local survivability because I live in Hurricane Alley. But outside of mm -hmm. that, call it 98, 99% of my environment needs to be in the cloud, needs to be almost like an electricity bill. I need to get down to a unit of service that's measurable and monitored so that we can be effective. Well, to do that, all these other pieces beneath it have to be in place. And I have to have observability and site reliability engineering in place to make sure that as I make that transition, I don't lose any of the uptime, availability, statistics, and sort of that resiliency that's baked into my, to my infrastructure. The days of yeah. healthcare IT being like the dinosaurs are over. And if you as yeah. a CIO or chief digital officer can't get with the Joneses, I said this a thousand times, I said it to you before, Kate, you'll be finding yourself a new job very soon. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that the holdouts are really going to start to see that more and more. Digital is not a buzzword. We're, we're way no. past that. Or at least Look at be. all the CEO forums. Look at what the American College of Healthcare Executives or all those wonderful organizations are teaching our CEOs, which is that digital is your future. And guess what they're going to come back and ask okay. you? How are we going to come digital? If you don't have, can't have a conversation right. with them and the board, no way, Jose. Yeah, very well said. All right. Well, thank you, as always. Really appreciate it. And thank you for your patience with uh, of course, Tech Kate. 101. Anything for you. Anything <laughs> for you. I'll uh, hopefully see you at Vive. Yeah, hopefully. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Hey, have a good one. Stay safe up there. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.